Do you believe you're grounded in reality? Welcome, I'm Immortalites, for another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information to take away some themes, extract some stuff that you can perhaps learn from and maybe even question your own reality. Indeed, we do have Reality Plus by David J. Chalmers with the subtitle Virtual Worlds and the Problems of Philosophy. So this book was published pretty recently, 2022, has about 500 pages in length, and it took me a fair while to get through. I'd say probably 13, 15 hours in total. It's not super, super dense in terms of words, but in terms of the density of the actual word itself and the language of it, it can be uh, relatively hard to, to get through. This book is an examination of what reality actually is, hence the title, Reality Plus. So his central thesis is definitely around this concept of virtual reality and making claims of what he believes virtual reality is and how this should affect our thinking. Now, there's kind of two styles melded into this book, which he combines together to call techno-philosophy. So one part is results from technological process and things that are actually doable now with computers. And we can say, oh, okay, if this happens, this is likely to happen into the future. If this happens, we can see this now. And then also philosophical arguments that he makes and that have been made in the past. So we learn a lot about other philosophers over the centuries, millennia, in fact, and he discusses their arguments, their merits, and how it applies into virtual reality and how we can conceive of reality as a whole. So the book is split into seven parts and each of these uh, adds up to a total of 24 chapters. Some of these chapter examples are things like, is God a hacker in the next universe up? Are virtual reality devices illusion machines? And do simulated lives matter? So it really gets into all sorts of varying topics related to philosophy. I'm going to get into the first theme that I've pulled out from this, which was virtual reality, real as real can get. So what is real, I suppose, is one of the questions that really comes up in this book. And some of the philosophers in the past we see, such as Descartes in Meditations in First Philosophy, where he's questioning, you know, is there an evil demon actually creating all of these things that I see around me now? Am I actually living in a dream? Plato's Cave in Plato's Republic, which we've also covered on this um, book channel before, there's so many different ways that you could go about conceiving, okay, what actually is real? So David himself comes up with a couple of um, criteria, five criteria, in fact, that he uses, which you can find on page 114. And these are put as roughly this, reality as casual power, reality as mind independence, reality as non-illusoriness, reality as genuineness and uh, that was the last one. So when you're, you've got this checklist and you can start ticking off some of these things and asking, okay, if I was uh, in a dream, for, for example, right now, uh, does this really exist? Does it have causal powers? Is it independent of our minds? Is it as it seems? Is it as a genuine X? And then he goes talking about how, okay, let's say I'm in virtual reality. You know, does it really exist? Well, it really exists in some method or manner in that there are atoms and, you know, bits in a computer doing all of these things. So there is actually some existing of something there. Uh, does it have causal powers? Do things happen to me? Do I perceive things when I'm actually in this virtual reality? 
Yes, you can say that. Uh, is it independent of our minds? Yes, the virtual reality is a thing in itself and you know we are kind of connecting into it. So yes, it's independent. Is it as it seems? Well, when you're actually in there, does it actually seem as if something is happening? Does it seem as if you know, I reach out for an object and there actually is an object there, even though there technically isn't in, in some manner, it seems as if it's there. And then is it a genuine X? And, you know, he goes through all of these and basically after applying all of these methodologies, you find that in most of these cases, which you can come up with as asking, is this real? He actually says, yes, this is a type of reality. Um, it's a different reality, hence the name of the book, Reality Plus. It's not exactly the same as what we think is reality around us right here now. But if you were a brain in a vat, much like in the matrix, if an evil demon was controlling everything, if you were perhaps uh, trapped in the Truman show, um, much like the famous movie, if you were actually a simulation, if you were having a dream, much like Zhuangzi and his butterfly dream, all of these, you can apply these criteria and, and some will not pass it as well, but most of them kind of pass this reality test. And you can say, yes, that is an actual reality there. Now, what are some of the outcomes that come from this? So we said real is real can get. What does it actually mean if virtual reality is real? Well, a couple of things that he brings up in the book are if we create simulations, for example, and there are, we can kind of find out or there is enough proof that those simulations are conscious, that is a real reality for them. And if we were to turn off the machine, that is kind of the equivalent of, you know, killing everyone on planet Earth sort of deal. If we were to have uh, be inside of virtual reality and, you know, someone perpetrates some act of violence against me or some sexual harassment or things like this, that is real violence slash real sexual harassment. There are some claims and some things, some differences, such as, you know, if you kill someone in, in real life, it can be kind of different than if you killed them in virtual reality and then they, they pop back out into the real world. You can also have better lives as well. You can have a better life and it's a, a life worth living inside of virtual reality, are the claims that he makes. And so through all of these kind of arguments, investigations, philosophizing, he comes out with all of these sort of outcomes where you could say, okay, there's some real world practical applications of, of what he's talking about here. If you were creating a simulation, you know, maybe you don't want to kill all of these things, or maybe you don't even want to create it. If you start to see like, oof, these things are getting pretty conscious. I'm not sure I, you know, want to keep the power on and keep the server running for the next, you know, as long as possible. Um, because now I'm responsible for, you know, 8 billion lives, let's say if you've created a simulation of Earth in a computer. So all of that is somewhat, there's a grounding to it of some sort. Uh, when the next portion, I suppose, or the other half of the book is related to the second theme, which is the simulation hypothesis. And I've kind of put the subtitle philosophical word games here. So what, what is the simulation hypothesis? You might've heard this before, and there's very many variations of this. I'm going to go to the two simple ones that he talks about here on page 29. So the first of this is from Nick Bostrom, who was somewhat the person who um, popularized this. And so in his version, he says, simply, we are living in a computer simulation. That's that's kind of his um, main core thesis. Yeah, Chalmers uh, re that and says, 
we are and always have been in an artificially designed computer simulation of a world. Now, I'm not 100% sure if he, you know, if he had to put a probability on that, how much he actually would, or if this, if he's just saying this for an illustration, because he makes many different claims and takes many different sides of arguments in, in this book. But that's the, the main sort of two variations of this. And then we get into, um, I suppose, all of the separate things that come from this okay, if we're in a simulation, am I the only one and everyone else around me is a philosophical zombie, i.e. they're not actual, there's no actual consciousness around. We can have mixed ones where it could be perhaps people coming in from a, a, a virtual world. So let's say this is virtual reality right now and there's people dump coming in and coming out, let's say when they die, and I'm actually just a simulation in it and there is no other me you know, a brain in a vat, a body or a consciousness of some sort outside of this, that could be a mixed one. And then you could have a global one where it's, you know, or the whole universe that we're living in and it's a simulation um, and variations of this as well. It's temporary or it's permanent. You can go down rabbit holes of different imaginations of this of, you know, we're actually five layers deep and then there's, you know, God is on the kind of first layer, things like that. Now, what this kind of introduces is skepticism. And you'll see a lot of this in the book where he is saying something and then because he's a philosopher, he's creating arguments against himself and, and kind of debating these. Uh, not so much in the style like we talked about recently in The Courage to be Disliked, where it's a real Socratic dialogue. But this is him just saying, someone might say this, I would say this in response. There's very many levels of this and skepticism is basically the claim we cannot know anything at all in the in the broader sense. And so you can have local versions of this and say, um, you know, the cat that I own, that's actually a dog inside of a cat's body. And um, but that dog is, uh, you know, melded into this cat and we can't actually prove this. And, and that's a kind of local claim of skepticism. You cannot know that's an actual cat. There's more the Cartesian one where the kind of, and this comes from Rene Descartes, which is the only thing I can kind of be sure of is my consciousness, but all of these other things around me, so it's almost at this global level, I cannot really know any of them and you can make claims from that. And then there's the full global one, which is we cannot know anything at all. You know, I'm in a sim simulation and therefore I cannot, know anything about the world around me because it, none of it is as it seems. Now, this is uh, somewhat complex because we're getting into the real, the philosophical word games here, which is none of this is really verifiable. And so the claim that we're living in a simulation is unverifiable. There's no way of us to actually prove it or not. And although this is a word game, it's not necessarily meaningless, um, much like many claims in the world are just because they can't be proved doesn't mean they are, uh, they're meaningless in themselves, but you do have to recognize, okay, I maybe wouldn't base my whole life around a, a concept which you cannot prove either way. You can have ways of trying to prove it. And this is getting into this concept of infinity, which I, <laughs> I always seem to struggle with, which is the way that infinity is used, particularly in simulation theory is, um, you know, there's going to be, there's, there's got to be X number of simulations. We're creating simulations ourselves. 
more there's going to be an infinite number of simulations um therefore the you know we are living in a simulation there's sort of one statement one one kind of fact about infinity and then therefore we're in a simulation and the thing is you can you can kind of use this as a coverall for many things and it's actually there's claims kind of underneath that so for example i could say uh we're in a you know if we were in a simulation there's only a simulation of eight billion humans uh in infinite in uh simulations you would expect that there would be infinite um simulations of a of a human being in that we're capped at kind of eight billion at the moment therefore we statistically we wouldn't be in a simulation you know you can kind of use all of these things and then they would argue oh but you know it's something related to simplicity or complexity maybe we can prove we're not in a simulation because simulations take cut corners and things like this and it just goes into this kind of whirlwind diving <laughs> game of of words and language and uh, Chalmers admits this himself when he's talking about you know one particular aspect of of what he's debating and he was saying well you know in this case this person is is using subjective language and their meaning of this word is different from my meaning and that that i think is getting to the the core of of many of these things related to the simulation hypothesis and a lot of philosophy in general to be honest which is a lot of it is word games now I don't think any real claims came out from this simulation talk in this book. Most of the concrete things you could talk about were what I already mentioned in the virtual reality section. And then all of these things are maybe philosophically interesting, but unprovable, unverifiable, and more just fun to talk about, which is getting onto my own observations and takeaways I gotta say, I, I was a bit exasperated <laughs> after after reading through so much of this. There's just so many back and forths, and it at points becomes repetitive. To highlight this, I'm going to jump onto page 229 slash 30, where Chalmers is talking about um, the this virtual piano that could be in this park somewhere. So he's saying, on the other hand, why say the virtual piano is really in Washington Square Park? And so it's getting into this kind of word game of um, virtual objects in augmented reality. So if there was a virtual piano in this Washington Square Park, is it actually there and whatnot? And so I'll read this section. A natural resolution of this matter is to make a distinction. The virtual piano is not physically in the park, but it is virtually in the park. An object is physically in a space if it has physical matter that occupies that space. An object is virtually in a space if it functions as if it occupies that space. The virtual piano has no physical matter in Washington Square Park, but it functions as if it occupies the space. If the virtual piano seems to be physically in Washington Square Park, this is an illusion. The virtual piano is only virtually in the park not physically in the park. On the other hand, if the virtual piano seems only to be virtually in Washington Square Park, this isn't an illusion. The virtual piano really is virtually in Washington Square Park. <laughs> Look, maybe it makes sense to some people, but when it was getting to this level of this is this thing and this, da, 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 uh, I, just, I just found it. I, I, like it was getting too much into the details too much into the arguments, too much caught into its own webs of repetitive and, and whatnot. This is philosophy, so you know I, I accept that and, and understand it. But 
for a, for a book, I just got to say, like, oof, I, I I struggled with certain aspects of this throughout the book. Um, that being said, I would say it is relatively accessible compared to many other philosophical works I've, I've read before. The writing is much more accessible. The theories, the way they're put out, um, you still have to work for it, I think. Hence why I, it took me much longer to read this book than it does a, a kind of typical book. But I, I think it is more, more easy for the, for the general person coming from the outside who maybe hasn't thought too deeply about virtual reality or the simulation hypothesis they could probably come into this and they're not going to take everything away, but I think you, you'll still maybe have uh, some value come out from it versus something like Heidegger's um, The Question Concerning Technology, which is just incomprehensible and unless you have you know a degree, which is more like poetry. And this book isn't poetry. It's, it's certainly more on the... Mm, artifacts of side the technological sort of side than the the philosophy uh airy fairy poetry side but it still has aspects of that so in summary it's ultimately it was a mixed bag for me i thought it would start um each section strong and then it would just kind of lose its way a little bit it, the the arguments would start to get a bit you know, too loopy, too hazy, too fuzzy, and a bit lost and muddled, to be honest, in the middle. And then it would bring it back usually towards the end of the section or the chapter. Uh, personally, I wish there was more hypotheticals within the book or technological examples or his own experiences using virtual reality and how that has influenced his thoughts and things like that. Because he does do a bit of that anyway, but but it it kind of lacks that grounding much like i said at the start is this uh, you know grounded in reality um sure it's reality but the, it, it might not have that that pulling down force which is somewhat uh useful at times so i would say this is probably a beginner intermediate level of philosophy book you'll learn a bit about virtual reality and about the simulation hypothesis and uh, a bit about general philosophy over the the many years uh but how much of that is it really going to be applicable to your everyday life? I'd say not not too much, but you know, it, it can be fun, these word games and whatnot. So overall, I'm giving the book Reality Plus by David J. Chalmers a six and a half out of 10. Yeah, it was all right. It wasn't too bad. And that is it for today, my mere mortalites. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on David Chalmers, on Reality Plus, on the simulation hypothesis? Are we in one? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is via sending in a boostergram. So a boostergram is a message that you can send directly within your podcasting app with a payment, a value of Satoshis, i.e. a portion of Bitcoin attached to that. Some of the best places to go to are podcastapps.com and you can choose one of the new ones from there. You'll get a much more better experience because I put in chapter images, I put in some links to the things that I'm talking about in here and you have the ability to show appreciation for, for this podcast. This is a value for value podcast. I do all of this for free upfront, no value whatsoever. You do not have to contribute back ever if you don't want. But I would just say this does, you know, there are costs involved in hosting these things in my time and whatnot. And I'd really do appreciate uh, when I can get some recognition of that back. So there's many different ways you can do that. It doesn't have to be through, through money, of course. You can do this through 
sending the podcast to a friend, telling them about these book reviews. I always greatly appreciate that. You could do that by giving me a, another book example or highlighting a, something that I got wrong in my review or that maybe is worth thinking of. And then you can send some um, a payment. And I always read those out in the end of month book recaps as a thank you for the supporters who do this. Plenty of other things you can do. You can check out the YouTube channel if you want. If you like the visual aspect, you can uh, you know, subscribe, like, do all of those sorts of fun things. Leave a review if you really want. But the way I really do appreciate it is is via that. And then also check out the Mere Mortals podcast where I expand on a lot of the thoughts that I come from these books with my friend Juan and then also with other guests and, you know, sometimes even myself. So I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in this virtual reality world of us in the simulation, no matter how many layers deep we are. And I just, yeah, really wish you all the best. Until the next time, ciao for now, Kyron out.